This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. One thing that can be very frustrating about learning jazz and playing jazz is that a lot of times jazz musicians will play a song just slightly differently. Maybe it's the way that they phrase the melody. Maybe it's the way they play the chord changes, adding chord changes, subtracting chord changes, playing an entirely different key. It can get very confusing and you wish you just knew what the exact original changes that everybody's playing at the jam sessions is so that you're not confused by all the options out there. Well, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about that Specifically, how do you know what changes you should be using and learning when you're learning a new jazz standard? It's going to be a good episode, and I'm looking forward to helping you and guiding you along through this process. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. All right, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, podcast, videos, and a membership, all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. We are going to be asking the age-old question, how do you know what the changes are for a jazz standard. I mean, it seems that you may look at some sheet music or iReal Pro or a real book, and then you might listen to a recording of one artist and, you know, the changes are a little bit different than the other changes. It can get confusing really fast and frustrating, especially if you're someone who's just getting your toes dipped into the jazz scene and just the jazz world, trying to figure this thing out. It can seem a little bit confusing. And so I'm going to help you and give you a few tips for exploring and uh, researching jazz standards, which is something that I do quite often, especially when we are preparing for a new jazz standard study that we do monthly in our Inner Circle membership. And by the way, before we jump into today's episode, today's episode is sponsored by our very own Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle membership. This is monthly jazz standard studies that we do, complete with etudes, chords analysis, exercises, and resources to help you start improvising over them. This is all of our 101 basics courses to fill in the blanks, our premium practice program courses. We do live monthly Q&As with me every single month to get your questions answered. There's a really vibrant community of tons of different kinds of musicians playing all sorts of different instruments. It's really positive, fun, and uplifting. And just brand new, like literally a few weeks ago, we dropped four of our instrument accelerator courses, brand new guitar, bass, trumpet, and sax accelerator courses. So if you play one of those instruments, now is it's never been a better time to join the LGS Inner Circle to help you improve the technical side of jazz on your instrument. And we're coming out with more of those accelerator courses later uh, in the year, hopefully, and uh, beyond. So 
Sign up at ljsinnercircle.com if you want to learn how to become a better jazz musician, get all the tools, help, and resources, and community to help you stay motivated and inspired. You're going to want to join us, ljsinnercircle.com. Look forward to seeing you over there. All right. Without further ado, let's jump right in to these tips on how to know what the right chord changes are to jazz standards. Okay, so the first thing that's uh, worthy of mentioning here is, you know, as opposed to learning like a Beatles tune, like, you know, you're learning Yesterday's by the Beatles, like those chord changes are always going to be those chord changes. Uh, when we're talking about an improvised uh, style of music, or uh, music that really features lots of improvisation, naturally musicians are just going to go ahead and take liberties and add different chord changes and reharmonize things. And then what happens in the process of this is you started with the original changes of a tune, and over time, they may or may not start morphing into something else where a different set of changes becomes more widely accepted. So that's something just to be aware of in jazz. And this is why you may experience some frustration when trying to learn a new tune and aren't getting a straight answer about what the actual chord changes are. So I'm going to start with the very first tip, which is do not rely on the real book or iReal Pro. Okay. So that's tip number one. Don't rely solely on the real book or iReal Pro. Okay. So uh, let me tell you why, first of all. So you may know if you listen to this podcast for a while, I always preach learning jazz standards by ear uh, as much as possible. Now, the most difficult portion of learning jazz standards by ear is learning the chord changes. And I have episodes and YouTube videos and you know, tutorials in my inner circle membership where we talk about how do you actually go about doing that. And I'm not going to spend uh, today's episode really focusing on that. However, it is helpful to start developing that skill because when we just look at the real book or iReal Pro, you're going to find that actually there are a lot of instances where the chord changes are actually incorrect. Now, um, let me give you a good example here. Got my guitar out. Um, the tune four by Miles Davis, or at least it's said to be, uh, it's said to be composed by Miles Davis. It's this one. Right? That one. And the first time that I learned this tune was, I guess, maybe back in high school, a long time ago. And I wasn't really super hip to the concept of learning tunes by ear and, you know, using at least different resources for learning tunes. So I actually was using, um, I, I don't remember what version of the real book I was using, but the, these were the chord changes that the real book was telling me. So it starts with uh, E flat major. That's the key we're in. So... All that's E flat, and then it goes, and that's B flat minor seven, uh, B flat minor seven to E flat seven. Okay, so it's sort of like a, it seems like it's a two, five going to four, uh, the four chord, which is A flat major seven. So that's what the changes said. B flat minor seven, E flat seven to A flat major seven. Right, and the melody over the A flat major seven was. Right? You can hear how that all fits over the A flat major 7, right? Really well. OK, 
Okay, and then it goes A flat minor seven, D flat seven, right? So it all makes sense, right? So E flat major seven, it's the one chord. Right? All makes sense. Like the changes sound good, all that stuff. However, however, uh, I started playing with some other musicians. And they started telling me, oh, hey, Brent, uh, you're playing that A-flat major 7 there, and uh, that's actually not what the chord changes are. It's actually an F minor 7. So it goes E-flat major 7, B-flat minor 7, E-flat 7, then F minor 7, right? Okay, and you can hear also how the melody fits really well over the F minor seven. Okay, and so they said that's what the actual changes are. So I, I eventually, I said, okay, well, well, I don't know why the real book said the uh, the change was A flat major seven, but let me look into it. So I listened to the Miles Davis recording, and sure enough, it goes. And then A flat minor seven, D flat seven. So that was an important discovery to realize that, oh, it's not the A flat major seven, it's F minor seven. Now, any of you who are a little bit music uh, theory savvy will realize that F minor is uh, what we call the relative minor to A flat major. Uh, that's kind of an important music theory concept, I think, you know, you should know. You don't have to know all music theory, but that's a good one, right? What the relative keys are. So relative meaning they have the same... Uh, the same sharps or flats, you know, a major key and a minor key. And so A flat major is the relative major to F minor, and F minor is the relative minor to A flat major, okay? So in in a way, it's the same kind of tonality, but that's not what the chord change is. You can very clearly hear the piano and especially the bass. The bass player is playing an F minor. And so that's the chord we want to be playing. And yeah, you're going to approach it. Uh, you're going to approach F minor a little bit differently compared to A flat major. Okay. So that was a big hint for me early on that maybe the real book isn't always going to be right. Now, does that necessarily mean that looking up at iReal Pro, you know, iReal Pro, by the way, all of those, all of those uh, chord charts that you downloaded, onto iReal Pro, these are just user-made chord changes. You know, just anybody makes these, right, and puts them in there. They're not, like, official. They're, you know, there's, it's none of that. So that's something to keep in mind. I mean, you're just dealing with other people's uh, perceptions of what the chord changes are. And uh, humans make lots of mistakes, or they get fooled by this very concept we're talking about. You know, what are the actual chord changes? Um, so... It's good to keep that in mind. So you can use RealBook and iReal Pro as uh, tools or references, but you should never just solely rely on them. And as I always preach, you know, do your best at whatever level you're at, at trying to learn the chord changes by ear as best as possible, even if it's just, you know, trial and error. It doesn't matter if you're a guitar player, a piano player, or even a horn player, right? Just trying to spell out, you know, if you're a horn player trying to play the arpeggios, trying to play the bass notes that you're hearing to try to come up with what those actual chord changes are. So start there and then, yeah, pull out the iReal Pro, pull out um, the real book, uh, pull out a, a, a song book by, you know, Hal Leonard or something like that that you find and then start comparing and contrasting. Um, 
So that's the first thing. That's the first step uh, is to not only use sheet music and chord charts, uh, also compare and contrast with what you're actually hearing. Okay. All right. So let's move on to the second tip that I would give you. And that is always use the original version to find out what the chord changes are. Now, there's a huge caveat to this, a huge caveat we're about to go into, but uh, use the original changes, uh, the the original recording, rather, to figure out what the chord changes are. Um, So let me give you uh, a very classic example here. If I'm trying to learn Wayne Shorter's uh, Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum, for example, the best recording to start learning Wayne Shorter's Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum is going to be Wayne Shorter's recording of Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum, right? I mean, that's the best way to learn that composition. Uh, Okay, you could go to a recording of some modern jazz artist you like playing that tune and try to learn it from there as well. However, that's not going to automatically be the best source. The original recording, the first time it was ever recorded by the actual artist, that's going to be the correct changes. Okay. That's going to be the correct changes. For example, um, Blue Bossa, this is a good example, actually. Um, Blue Bossa. I often hear people, it's C minor seven, C minor is the key center. They just go to the F minor seven and that's all they play. But if you listen to the original recording, it goes C minor seven to F minor seven to B flat seven. And a lot of people miss that B flat seven playing blue bossa. Um, But that's definitely there when you listen to the Kenny Dorham recording on Joe Henderson's album, right? If you listen to the original, that first time it was ever recorded was by Joe Henderson and Kenny Dorham uh, was on that album and they played his composition, Blue Bossa. So these are things that are important, like listen to the very first version of that recording to try to get an idea of what's going on there. Um, you know, so that that's the first thing I would say. You know, you know if you go to a, a Frank Sinatra recording of something, you're, you may or may not get a good, uh, accurate representation of what the chord changes are. However, I, I will say, since we're talking about Frank Sinatra, a, a slight divergence from the topic, um, but on the same path, is the melody. If you want to, if you're trying to learn some of these great American songbook tunes, uh, and you're having a hard time coming up with what the exact melody is, um, Frank Sinatra, if there's a version of that, Frank Sinatra is going to be singing it as pretty much true to its form. Um, Frank just always sings it straight. So Frank Sinatra is a great resource for learning melodies um, because he's going to sing it straight. Just realize he's a singer, so he may not be playing it in the common key. So you have to transpose it. Um, That's a little side note. So use the original recording. Now, here's the caveat. Uh, I was talking about Wayne Shorter or John Coltrane or Joe Henderson. You know, more of these, uh, I would call these jazz standards jazz originals. Um, jazz originals, meaning, you know, jazz musicians created these tunes for them to play and for others to play in their own bands. Great American songbook tunes, you know, that's like, you know, you know, like my shining hour, you know, that's a great American songbook tune. Those are tunes that are taken from, you know, uh, old films 
or Broadway shows and musicians adapted them. So jazz musicians adapted them into be improvised uh, song forms and, you know, they took those tunes and used them as a palette for improvisation. So they're a slightly different category. And here's the thing about a lot of these great American songbook tunes is the original changes are good to know, but they're often not the changes that jazz musicians are using to improvise. So if you just learn the original changes, you may be playing something completely different or at least not sonically exactly the same as someone at a jam session. So you want to be aware of that. Now, here's a a great example. Here's a really great example. Um, The original changes to Stella by Starlight, right? Uh, For those of you who need a reminder, it's this one. Okay, so that tune. Well, the first chord change in the original version from I think the 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 show is called the movie is called The Uninvited. Um, I might have the title that wrong, but the first chord is is actually not what it normally is in the real book, uh, which is E minor seven flat five to A seven. So like it's like this two five, and then it goes to uh, C minor seven F seven. And then an F minor seven, B flat seven to a to E flat major seven. So the first two chords is E minor seven flat five to an A seven, then the C minor seven, the F seven. But the first chord in the original changes are a B flat diminished seven. Okay, so it's and then I think that the B flat is still in the bass for the for the uh, original changes on that two five there. So the first chord is a B flat diminished seven. Ah, whoops. And it sounds really beautiful, but the thing is, if you go to any jam session or a gig, uh, I highly doubt that you're going to hear anybody playing that B flat diminished seven. Maybe you'll find someone who's in the know and likes to play that B flat diminished seven as the first chord uh, doing it, but for the most part, that's not going to happen. And you know, I think it, it could have been Miles Davis who popularized putting the two fives in because that's what jazz musicians did: is they they saw this original harmony and they thought to themselves, well. How do I we make this uh, a better vehicle for improvisation? And the answer is instead of this B flat diminished seven, let's add a a two five, right? Because jazz musicians love two five one. So E minor seven flat five to A seven, right? C minor seven to F seven, you know F minor seven to B flat seven to E flat major seven to A flat seven. I mean we love two five chord progressions. You master the two five, you're in good hands. So that's what they did instead of the, you know the. You know, to go going for a diminished sound, they went for a two-five sound, right? Okay, so that's important to know. The original changes, especially when we're talking about the great American songbook tunes from the Broadway shows and the movies, you know, the jazz musicians are sometimes playing them differently. So it's cool and it could be good to know the original changes, 
but that's not necessarily the changes that are to be uh, to be used. Now, here's another example I'll give you here. And in our Jazz Standards Club this next month, uh, which is part of our Inner Circle membership, we study a new Jazz Standard every single month. Um, and I usually don't give this away until our live Q&A calls. So if you're one of our members, you're getting a little sneak peek. And, um, you know, I'm, I'll break my rule for a second here. But this, the tune we're actually going to study... Um, next month is called Georgia on my mind. You know the tune, Georgia on my mind. I'm acting like you don't know what Georgia on my mind is. Everybody knows Georgia on my mind because of the Ray Charles version of the tune. Okay, Ray Charles. Well, Ray Charles didn't write Georgia on my mind. In fact, I think Ray Charles version came out sometime in the '60s, if I'm not right, uh, not wrong. Um, but actually, the first version of Georgia on my mind was 1930 or 1931. And it's written by Hoagie Carmichael, and Hoagie Carmichael was the one who wrote this tune. Okay, so we're talking about Georgia on My Mind is a great American songbook tune. Um, and 1930, if you listen to the recording, like he's basically, there's no seventh chords that are being played. There's dominant seventh chords, but it's like F major seven, so Georgia, then A7, Georgia. D minor seven the whole way through then the four chord and then this E flat with a G in the bass da, 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 da. and then it's just like F major to E seven or just rather just a E triad to a G minor seven C seven F major seven F sharp diminished seven G minor seven C seven. Okay, so let's just look at those first four bars. So one more time, it's Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through. Hope you like my singing. <laughs> that old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind. Okay. Other than the, the ear pollution from my singing, right? Th- those are those are essentially the original changes. Um, okay. So now let's go to what the Ray Charles changes are. Okay. The Ray Charles changes. So the Ray Charles changes actually kind of the same at first. So it's F major seven is the first chord to A seven. Okay. Then it goes so D minor seven. D minor 7 over C, but here's where it changes a little bit. Now it's a B flat 7 to a B diminished 7. So this is blues harmony. So it's not like the original Hoagie Carmichael. It's it's a little bit different. B diminished 7 to 1, 6. So we're not doing a passing diminished chord like the Hoagie Carmichael changes. G minor 7, C7. And then here's another change here too. Then it goes to E flat seven. This is what we call a tritone substitution to D seven, G minor seven, C seven. You're asking Brent, how did you know? How do you know this? I went to the recordings while I was doing research for our inner circle members, and I listened to them and I figured out what are these chords? What's the Hokie Carmichael chord changes? Uh, what are the the Ray Charles changes? Okay, they're different. Okay, so th- uh, you know. 
are people going to be using the Hoagie Carmichael changes? Like, there's some odd changes in there that you wouldn't probably use in a jazz context. Probably not. Are they going to be using the Ray Charles changes? Much more likely because a lot of people know that. But, but this is a classic example of a jazz standard that people get frustrated over because. Then you listen to the Dexter Gordon recording. It's a really popular recording of Georgia on my mind. I think it's from the Biting the Apple album. Um, and here's the chord changes to that. Okay. So it's first chord, Georgia, F major seven. Then we already have something different. Then we have Georgia, E minor seven, five, five, A seven to D minor seven. So before that second bar is just A seven. But now it's E minor 7 flat 5, A7 altered to D minor 7. So already, you know, the jazz musicians here, Dexter Gordon, they're throwing in two fives. They're trying to create more chordal movement. Then we have D minor 7 the whole day through. Now, instead of going to that B flat 7, B diminished 7 like Ray Charles does, he goes D minor 7. D minor 7 with a C in the bass to B minor 7 flat 5, B flat minor 7, E flat 7, then A minor 7, that's 3 chord, 6, 2, 5. And then back to Georgia again, right? So already we have some different changes in there. And then I went and said, okay, well, is it just Dexter Gordon playing those? I started calling them the jazz changes, right? Because I started checking out if there's other jazz musicians doing it. And sure enough, I listened to an Oscar Peterson recording. And pretty much Oscar Peterson is playing similar changes to what Dexter Gordon is playing. And I listened to a few other recordings and similar changes, right? So now what do we have here? We have... The original changes by Chloe Hoagie Carmichael, we have the Ray Charles changes that a lot of people know because he made that popular recording. And then you have all these jazz musicians who took those changes and made them into something new. So another reason why the original changes, you know, if you if you go out and you play this tune, not a lot of people are playing exactly the Hoagie Carmichael changes. Um, they're playing the jazz changes or they're playing the Ray Charles changes or a mixture of the two. So is knowing the Hoagie Carmichael changes helpful? Sure it is. Um, but in this case, you got two different kinds of popular changes to, to George on my mind. So in a way, we sort of need to know two different sets of changes. We need to know what the jazz changes are because a lot of jazz musicians did that. And we also need to know the Ray Charles changes because, I mean, that those are popular too. All right. So that's kind of tip number three is know jazz standards that have multiple sets of changes that are popular. Know both sets of changes. They're not that drastically different, but there are some important changes that you should just know about. And that way, if you get up onto the bandstand with somebody, I mean, either A, you can say, oh, hey, uh, in the fourth bar, do you play the B flat seven to the B diminished seven? Or do you play the B minor seven flat five to the B flat minor seven E flat seven? You can have a little conversation or you can hear it happening. 
Let's look at one more classic example of how sometimes there are two common sets of changes. Uh, this is a kind of funny one, uh, if you ask me. Um, do you recognize this song? Okay, you recognize that one? That's uh, Well You Needn't by Thelonious Monk. It's a quirky tune, as many Thelonious Monk tunes are. The chord chains are kind of simple. You know, it's like a, kind of like a, a, I guess a, I guess, I guess, I guess it's often just like a F6 or sometimes people play a dominant seventh. So, so F7 to F sharp seven. And it kind of just, you know, for that entire first melody line. This kind of switches off between those two chords. Um, but then, so it, it, it goes, you know, then it goes to the B section and it goes. Okay, kind of tricky to play that. And. The chords that Thelonious Monk plays, remember my tip, go to the original chord recording. In this case, this is what I call a jazz original. Thelonious Monk wrote it. He's a jazz musician. He goes to D flat seven. So it goes. That's D flat seven. Up a half step to D seven. Then to E flat seven, E seven, F seven. Right, down to the C7 chromatically, and then back to the top. Right, so, you know, how did I know that? I, I listened to the recording, and I could hear D-flat in the bass, and it going up chromatically. You know, you, I have, you know the, my ears are used to listening to that bass and really, you know, keying into it. So, here's the thing, though. In the real books and stuff like that, you'll often see... They don't start on D flat for the bridge. They start on G. All right, so the melody is uh, or they start there. Right? So the melody changes and the chord changes change because now you're going from F and F sharp, F, then you're going to G to A flat to A to B flat. Okay, back to the top again. So, in other words, the changes are different. Now, where did they get these changes from? Well, if you listen to Miles Davis's version of this tune, that's what he plays. The chords go to G7. Okay, not not D flat, G7. So, we're a tritone away chordally from Thelonious Monk all of a sudden. Now, why would he do that? I, I, do, I have no idea, man. Like, why, why would he change the... Like, Thelonious Monk is his contemporary. Why did he change it? He probably... I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guessing here. He probably thought that was a strange thing to do, to go from an F7 and now you're going to a D flat 7. Now, I like it, but he might have thought that was strange. He thought, nope, we're going to make it a G7. And that, were the, that was the chord changes. And then that version of the chord changes got popularized. Okay, especially because of the real book. So now all of a sudden, if you go to a jam session and someone calls, well, you need it, you know, you're going to, you should listen out for, are they going to start the bridge on D flat or on G? D flat or G? And and this is one of those tunes where I personally ask ahead of time. I'm like, uh, are we starting the bridge on D flat? Are we starting it on G? 
because that's going to make a big difference, right? So this is a, a scenario where you should know both sets of changes. And how would you even know about this? Well, people like me telling you, right? Because <laughs> that's how it is with jazz, right? I mean, you sometimes you just need to be told certain things like this. Uh, this goes for knowing jazz standards in different keys too. Like um, if you learn uh, Just Friends... Right? That's in the key of G. So, concert G major. That is... Uh, whoops. A, a key that you would commonly hear Just Friends played in. But if you call Just Friends and all of a sudden you sound like you're playing the wrong chord changes, um, it could be because the band is playing it in F major. And the only way for you to really know that is by experience and for people like me to tell you that that's a common key. So whenever someone calls just friends, the question you should first ask is, are we playing in concert G or are we playing in concert F, right? So, you know, similar idea there, you know, not necessarily the changes we're talking about, but we're talking about the keys. Um, so know whether or not there are multiple different sets of chord changes to a jazz standard that you should be aware of. Um, and again, I hope you're also seeing here, there's a lot more research that's going into this than just simply pulling out the iReal Pro, looking at the changes and going, great, now I know the tune, right? You're investigating it. And that's that's something that, that makes jazz a little bit different sometimes than maybe some other styles of music where, um, again, you know, a Beatles tune, the chord changes are going to be the chord changes. Like there's not really interpretation going on you know it's just those are the chord changes but with jazz there there is the possibility of that especially because with the great american songbook tunes how jazz musicians like to add two fives and change it to make it uh, more of an improvisation style of music so that's why jazz is different that's why this gets a little bit more complicated so the last kind of tip i want to uh, make you aware of is that jazz musicians sometimes will just add substitutions. And, and this is where people can get frustrated too, because it's like, well, how do I know what the changes are if they're just constantly adding um, different substitutions in there, right? So sometimes jazz musicians will do a different arrangement of a tune. Um, here's a good example, actually. So, um, Bye Bye Blackbird. Right, it's basically F major uh, <laughs> for a long time, and then it goes bye bye blackbird. Really nice tune, but during the bridge, this is how it normally go. So it's like a D seven to G minor seven, and that's just G minor seven to C seven. F major 7. I believe those are kind of more just the basic uh, original changes, if you will. Um, but uh, Miles Davis's arrangement, he goes... So the same. But then he goes A flat minor 7 to D flat 7. 
G minor 7, F7. I call that a deceptive cadence, or um, sometimes I call this a chromatic 2-5. It approaches the 2-5 to the F major 7 chromatically. Okay, so that's an arrangement choice that Miles Davis made. However, you know, you'll hear a lot of times people play those changes. I prefer to play those changes. I think they sound beautiful, so I usually will do that. Um, a good musician will be able to hear that right away and pick up on it, um, who has good ears. So that's one thing. The other thing, though, is when jazz musicians are improvising, you may hear them just throwing all like, okay, so maybe the tune is just a 1, 6, 2, 5. So that's F major 7 to D7 to G minor 7 to F7. And maybe you'll hear the jazz musician going, you know, in their comping or in their their lines or the solos, they're going to be going like this chromatic tritone substitution movement down right and they're playing they're comping like that or their lines like that um and you just have to recognize that you know those are not the original changes you have to just recognize that sometimes jazz musicians are throwing in different chord voicings in there um and and that's why especially uh, you know don't really learn the changes as much i mean you can still learn the changes but as much from the blowing the improvising because you know, there's that's when jazz musicians are going to start taking even more liberties. So uh, during the head, the melody in and out is probably the best, uh, the best portion of the tune to learn chord changes from. Um, you know, not to exclude the rest of it, but um, you can get some more confusion in the improvising. Okay. So um, just to kind of summarize some of the tips that I gave today about, you know, trying to tackle this complication that jazz provides with learning chord changes is number one, do not rely solely on the real book or iReal Pro because sometimes the chord changes are not right and you will be playing the wrong changes, not to mention just learning stuff off of sheet music is probably not going to retain it as well or understand it as well. Okay, so that's a side thing. But um, that's my first thing. So you can still use it as a resource, but don't use it as the sole way to learn a tune. Um, the next tip is to to look at the original uh, changes or the original recording more so. Um, again, if it's a jazz uh, original, like from uh, Herbie Hancock or John Coltrane or Sonny Rollins, Sonny Stitt, something like that, then that's a situation where go to the original recording and that's probably going, that that is going to be the changes you should learn it from. But keep in mind that for the Great American Songbook tunes, um, Bye Bye Blackbird is an example, um, My Shining Hour, um, uh, Stella by Starlight, of course, you know, all those tunes, the original changes are good to know but they may be different from the common changes that jazz musicians are going to play together. Okay, so keep that in mind as well. Um, and the last tip is to recognize that sometimes there just is a couple different versions of commonly accepted changes for a tune. And that's why the research is important to do. Um, that's why listening to this podcast, right, and learning stuff like this is important, right, just to learn. Um but just be aware of that sometimes there isn't just one set of chord changes. Sometimes there's more than one set of chord changes that you need to be aware of. And that can be a little frustrating, but they're normally very similar to each other. There's just some slight differences like we discovered with Georgia that are worth looking into a little bit further um, and realizing, though, that here are the similarities and here are the differences. All right. So use these tips. Go out there, 
learn some jazz standards by ear, see how you do. All right, that's all for today's show. Thanks for listening in. Hope that you found today's episode helpful in exploring this genre of jazz that sometimes can be a little bit unforgiving, but is so much fun to study, so much fun to work on. It can be so fulfilling once you really start seeing your improvisation and jazz skills improve. It really, you know, can can defuddle all the rest of that frustration that it took you to get to that point when you realize just how amazing it feels to improvise freely. And like I said at the beginning of the show, if you want help uh, improvising freely, getting training, getting practice programs, working on your skills, working with other like-minded musicians, definitely check out the LJS Inner Circle membership. It's got everything you need to succeed as a jazz musician and, and get the tools that will really help you accelerate your skills. You can do that at ljsinnercircle.com, ljsinnercircle.com. Join us today. Don't wait. Don't say, well, I don't have time right now. You'll never have time. You only need like an hour a week. We'll help you get you know headed in the right direction. So do it now, ljsinnercircle.com. We'd love to have you. All right, we're going to be coming out with another great episode of the show next week, of course. Look forward to seeing you back then. Until then, happy practicing and cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask. That's LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.